Thank you, Beck, and welcome everyone to the night. Um, joining us tonight will be Craig Swan and Matthew Wilson, who I'll introduce in a moment. Um, a quick little anecdote, the first time I encountered an MP3 player, which will hopefully frame some of the discussion we'll have tonight. So back in the dark days of 1997, I was working in the dot-com industry, which everyone in New York with a pulse did, and I was walking past the R&D department one morning, and there was a guy by the name of John who always bought all the new coolest, sexiest gadgets, and he was sitting there with the headphones on and the jack plugged into a tiny little gray box. And I looked at him, what's that, John? And he just handed it to me. And I turned around, didn't have a spinning disc in it, didn't have a tape cassette in it, nothing like that. John, what is that? And he's like, that's an MP3 player, Dan. It's gonna destroy the music industry. And um, kind of portentous, but I would say Tonight, we're going to be talking about how not only did digital technology not destroy the music industry, just the way it was distributed, but how digital technology, the adoption of digital technology, both past and present, are transforming the ways in which musicians use technology and music to unify the human experience. Or at least let's hope so. Let's see how we go. So that lofty goal set. Uh, I'll be introducing first Craig Swan, who is the founder of Loop Labs. Joining us on stage, come on in. Big round of applause for Craig. Uh, Craig has joined us quite recently in South Australia. How long have you been here so far? I keep saying six months, but it's actually like now almost eight. It's so. ah. I keep saying six months. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost eight. Yeah, so about seven or eight. It's almost yeah, seven months. So yeah, Craig, formerly from where in Canada were you? Did you originate Toronto. from Toronto? Toronto, and Toronto. spent some time in New York. Yeah, last ten years, New York. Well, welcome, uh, and now welcoming Matthew Wilson, who is the director of Novus Race. Coming up on stage, fantastic. All right, I'll try to. I'll stick to my notes now, Beck. I promise. Um, so, a couple of quotes, now that we're talking about disruption in the music industry. One for Craig to kick off some of the conversation here. Um, before we get into your background, a little framing quote from Bob Metcalf. Now, Bob Metcalf was the inventor of Ethernet, networking as we know it uh, in computers all the way back in the 80s. And he said that the value of a network is directly in proportion to the number of, people's, uh, number of people using the network. And Craig, before he got on stage, was saying that his principle is the democratization of music, which is very hard to say late at night on a stage. <laughs> um, but it's a good strap line. Now, for Matthew, some of the stuff that I'd like to put in your head is a quote from David Kelly, who wrote for Wired, uh, that technology succeeds when it becomes invisible. And I would say the VR work that Matthew works in is not at all pervasive or invisible yet. So it'll be interesting to see how we unpack that later tonight. And with that... Welcome. So, Thank you. Craig, with you, um, background, how did you first get into music? How did you first start meshing music and technology together? Uh, whew. Uh, who remembers the, uh, I guess, the, the Commodore 64? Did that make it out to Australia? Com A, Com A1? We got the Com A, Com A1 crew? That was my first introduction to computers. Another time we'll talk about how 1983 was the most amazing year ever for music and tech. But suffice it to say, um, I got into computers at an early age, uh, but at around the same <coughs> same time, I remember hearing these crazy, insane sounds from my neighbor's um, backyard, uh, interesting fellow, uh, and I had to ask him what it was, and it turned out it was uh, Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner, and I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because I didn't, you know, 
understand any of that. <coughs> and he's like, that's a guitar. And at that point, I was just hooked. I was like, this is incredible. That's a guitar making these sounds. So I kind of picked up guitars uh, in, in their sort of mid-80s around the same time I was with computers uh, and fell in love with that journey of both. But really for me, uh, I guess the synthesis of my sort of uh, journey was uh, 91. Uh, again, I don't think many people here are familiar with the Grateful Dead. Anyone? Yeah, crazy guys. Yeah. So I was a deadhead, long-haired uh, guitarist in a cosmic jam band. But at the same time, I was also introduced in 91 to the web via the university. And uh, it was that year that I had seen uh, a dead show. I was, uh, it was a very late night. It was a parking lot, a big drum circle. Suffice it to say, people were in a certain state of mind, including myself. And there's a bit of an epiphany of like, wow, uh, this sort of social music thing that the, that the Grateful Dead had conjured up uh, with their movement and this newfangled uh, internet thing, web. Uh, I just thought this would be amazing if this stuff came together and promptly dropped out of university to pursue it realizing you don't get internet access anywhere else except outside of university at that point. Um, but it set me on a journey of, of learning uh, digital music production, desktop publishing, and until finally I got to a point where I could merge the idea of interactive music for everyone uh, in 2000 and launched, uh, I guess, the first version of, of Loop Labs, which was uh, the first sort of online music creation at that time. And uh, that sort of set the sails for doing it and never really... Uh, an amazing musician or an amazing technologist, but just one of those people that when you grow up with both, you naturally just become this weird configuration of those things. So um, a cyborg of music and tech, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's check where the batteries are. Um, <laughs> for well, maybe later. <laughs> now, now, for Matthew, it's a different journey for you, obviously. When did you first start adopting technology, and at what point did you realize that music would be a significant part of that technology? I um, I've always been, I've always liked to make things. Uh, I never really knew what I wanted to to do, but making things was always going to be part of it. The music came very late, um, so I, I, I studied engineering. I like making hardware, and and unfortunately now, software is everywhere. Even if you're making hardware, so I fell into software engineering by accident, uh, through work, um, and that's now led on to where we are making VR. And that's when the audio stuff really started to come in for us, and the music. We're more on the gaming side, and the, the um, yeah, I guess gaming is probably the best way to describe what we do. Um, and it's not until you put on a headset and you go to a different place, and you realise there's a lack of sound and a lack of audio that you normally get in the real world, where you realise that it's missing. And it was that, and when we started working with sound engineers and composers and musicians, who started bringing layering in those elements to our games, that we realised that that's where audio is actually really important in what we're doing at the moment in VR. Question for both of you then, how does music, specifically music, not just sound, but music, create uh, a different set of feedback within what it could be very sterile technology experience? Either of you. Uh, so, I mean, I think we had an interesting conversation the other day about that. I think um, coming from an agency background, doing a lot of you know, creative work online, and, and you probably know this from the gaming industry, is that, that for a lot of people, a lot of clients, the last thing that they ever think about is music. And it's the most pervasive, powerful force in the universe. Um, yeah, but the budget is like, yeah, we got no budget, but like slap some music on at the end. Um, so it's often under, understated. But I think what's beautiful with music, it, beyond being powerfully uh, emotional, it's this invisible thing, right? It's this invisible hug that surrounds us. And I think particularly as it pertains to when you're in aug augmented, but specifically virtual realities, 
it is the most uh, natural occurring interface element because in real life you hear a sound, you turn around. So sound plays a really a pivotal role, which I'm going to guess because I'm not as steeped into the VR world as Matthew's, but um, it has the most powerful uh, sort of influence, I think, in terms of that experience because there it can guide people as it does in real life, but still it's a lot of stuff I see is, is it's, it's underwhelming how audio is used in that environment, and I think there's massive opportunity for the people that really choose to uh, leverage sound and, and music as a part of the experience because... Uh, when you're virtual, sound is that one uniting thing that connects you back to the real world. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential for that, but still, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I think it's one of those things that uh, being a, a 360Q to interacting is a powerful influence for sure. Yeah, it, I think it serves two functions. One, it helps obviously set the tone and, and, the, and the emotion and the way that music does. Two, it, um, it's used as a, as a guiding tool. So often, say in film, you want people to look in a certain direction. In a game, you want people to look in a certain direction. You can do that because you've got a frame, a square box that you can make the user look at. In three in VR, the user can look anywhere. So if the action is happening here, but I'm for some reason I'm interested in what's going on at that light over there, I'm going to miss what Craig just did. But that sound cue is a, a way, natural way to pull the person's gaze across there. So it serves two roles, I think, in that way. And really, I back to a point we talked about before, you want the sound to be invisible. So you shouldn't notice the sound. You should only notice the sound when it's not there, <laughs> when there's a lack of sound. So yeah. Uh, and a good point. I mean, of, of the many quotes that rattled around in my head, I remember George Lucas talking about the first Star Wars film and everybody saying you did this revolutionary new data motion control system around the special effects. You did all of this stuff that had never been done on film before, and he wasn't happy with any of it except for the musical score. He said that was the one part of the film that actually worked. And if you think about it, it's such a fundamental part of storytelling, particularly in terms of drawing you into a world and building a world. And I think that's what most people talk about. Going back to you, do you think there's a, famili a familiarity with, I can't even remember what it's called, I think it's a leitmotif is what they refer to it in symphonic music, where you uh, inflect what a character's role may be in um, an opera based on a set of musical bars. Is there anything like that you would think could be used in modern technology today to create specific emotional responses? Might be a big, meaty question, but... Well, I mean, uh, certainly, I mean, just, ba just basic with major and minor music, starting with a very most simplistic, uh, sad, self-reflective versus happy, you know, through those keys. Um, I think music has a stronger correlation to emotions through musical keys and, and through experiences that a lot of people don't think about, but you, you know when you hear a happy piece of music or a sad piece of music, and I think um, what's interesting is as music becomes more algorithmic and as more music becomes uh, generative and as, as it gets produced um, with artificial intelligence even, the ability to tap into those abilities and those nuances of uh, those chord structures to play into a narrative, because a, the, the virtual realm is very, very... Um, dreamlike it's 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 very narrative driven and i think again there's a huge opportunity which from everything i've seen is largely underrepresented in terms of leveraging the musical theory understanding of that stuff to be able to nuance uh, different reflections i mean you you know there's like okay this door <laughs> there's something creepy behind it because of the music like i don't yeah. want to go there 
Um, so I think there's a lot to be played on, but at a much more nuanced level, I think we'll see as there's more programmatic music stuff happening, people that understand that relationship to music and emotion will be tapping into that because uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a freaky <laughs> it's a freaky world when you put the goggles on and, and you can really tap into some really core reptilian stuff um, through music and I think that's a, a huge opportunity that I'd love to see explored and, and we've even talked <laughs> a lot of stuff since we've met about maybe stuff we could do together because I think there's a massive opportunity uh, leveraging that. Yeah, I think that that's the, the point here. Uh, we're not musicians by any, any stretch um, but the opportunity sure. here is to um, explore these these uh, concepts you talk about, which I have no idea what you're talking about, but there's an opportunity here as musicians to explore, bringing some of the your the techniques you guys know into the virtual space and seeing what works and wasn't what doesn't work. It's, I guess it's a bit like the web back in the early 90s. It's let's explore. It's as you said, it's not that developed yet. It's not invisible, and now's the time to play, work out new techniques, work out new ways of interacting, of telling stories, of, of playing music. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's that threshold that you're at, you're right, Matthew, is that if you look at how music was used traditionally to evoke an emotional response and become part of a narrative, you're suddenly deconstructing it in a medium that has no definition or context whatsoever. Nobody, no one has an idea what Citizen Kane on VR will look like, right? Don't have no idea, right? And we see that a lot when we work with, especially in film, directors mm. try to, and cinema photographers try to work in a frame. Yeah. And it just doesn't work in VR. And so they're, you know, in, in that space, in that medium, they're trying to work out the rules. The same thing exists for music and what you guys do. Having worked on Disney and Star Wars products, on the, the Wii and other computers, absolutely. Studios do, and I can comment on that very much so. Studios and traditional studios and content makers, particularly in the US, really struggle with adopting those new technologies because they try to overlay it with a language that they understand. But the problem with traditional film, it's a hundred year old language, you know. Um, you've got a language that might have only existed probably really within the last five to six years in terms of being able to mix and make dynamic music. You've got a language that has b barely even matured at all or become public. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge. How do you see business opportunities for artists, touching on what you said, Matthew? Like, if you're a great musician, how do you adapt yourself to this market? Craig's found a way, as a passionate musician, to use technology to create a business model for himself. How, to, how does a musician in the audience come and work with Novus Res? Yeah, I think there are two ways. One, as I said, we're not musicians. Uh, we've got no idea about the language you guys work in, about the, this whole landscape you work in. So it's that discussion, uh, the, the discussions you have about working out what might work, what might not work, and doing some prototyping and testing. The other thing is, because we're not musicians, um, we need sound, we need music, we need composition. And so it is just that, um, much I guess like film, it is scoring and writing pieces of music and, and working on projects with us, yeah, from a purely business point of view. Yeah. No. Stock music is cheesy? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> stock music is cheesy? Nah, stock music's great. It is. It is. It gives you a framework. Going back to you, Craig, at what point did you, did you think, I'm going to use this technology to, or maybe let me rephrase, do you think music made the web more familiar and more accessible because it was a medium that people understood in a space they hadn't become familiar with, going back to the 2000s? Going back to the 2000s, I just think of Napster. It was it was like great. Music is free. I mean, I mean, the internet pretty much like for old people killed music. Mm. I, I think for young people, there's a massive opportunity. I mean, 
If you think about music now, <coughs> and I'm not as familiar with the music industry here as it might be uh, in, in maybe more North America, but remixing is, is a thing, right? I mean, the mashup, the remix, this is what people are doing with music. They're repurposing it. it they can copy and paste everything now. That's a part of the creative uh, expression. The opportunity that, that I think particularly, I mean, how many people here actually are from the music world, just to put this in context? So there's a number of people. Fantastic. So, I mean, <coughs> with a platform that, that we're building, uh, if you imagine yourself as an artist, I can create a piece of music, and then beyond my 360 experience of touring and merchandise, I'm going to what? Make some money on some streams, which is not a lot. But if you can imagine uh, if music takes on the mentality of saying, I'm going to adopt the op open source mentality, which means I'm going to make my music available to people to do things with, and I'm going to crowdsource it, you can start breaking down your music into its musical stems, into its musical pieces, open up to the world, allow everyone to start remixing it in a, in a way that's contained to be able to create, and all of a sudden now, one piece of music can turn into thousands of pieces of new music. So if you're an artist that believes that this is the potential of your audience engaging with you, interacting with you, they now become co-creators with you. So you could put out your piece of music in a format that's uh, uh, interactive for the first time, have all your fans play with it, and all of a sudden thousands of pieces of music are being created. So if you create a system, if you can imagine a world where that music can go into a royalty stream, all of a sudden that one piece of music which would make one uh, royalty stream on a Spotify, if thousands and thousands of people are creating new versions of this stuff and the good stuff bubbles up, all of a sudden you have people basically co-creating with you, creating multiple revenue streams off that original piece of music. And I think from a lot of the talks that we've had with musicians that that's a tremendous opportunity to the point where a lot of artists are actually thinking, I won't even finish my track. I'll give you my vocals, I'll give you some ideas, let you guys do uh, your, your, your trap version, your deep house version, your whatever version, and some of those things will bubble up in the future, and all of a sudden now I've got thousands of pieces of music that are earning you know, perpetual royalty streams. And for me, that's the true nature of how music is, is meant to be, how it's going to go. And I think that is the true opportunity as a musician to start thinking about how my music can be embraced. I mean, there's nothing better from the experience we've had doing remix campaigns with artists from Kesha to Bob Dylan is that when people get a part of the process and spend 20 to 30 minutes creating music, you inject that IKEA effect. The value that music that people have is basically zero. I downloaded it, it's free at zero. If I spend 30 minutes creating my own version of that piece of music, well, of course it has value because I was a part of that process. And I will pay for that piece of music to be able to download it to show off to my friends. And that's the kind of the experience that we're starting to see. And I think the potential of artists being very open with their music to be messed with. Uh, and, and listen, I get it. Some people are like, this is my masterpiece, don't mess with it. But I think the artists that start adapting the relationship with fan through an engaging interactive experience through music uh, holds magnificent potential moving forward in, in an interactive uh, uh, yeah, landscape for sure. You know, going back to that original question, that is the value of connected technology, is making sure that everybody can participate in the human experience and removing those barriers. Going back to Matthew, everyone can be a musician. Everyone. So there's no barriers. So for you, uh, Matthew, five years from now, where would you see VR? Where, where do you think taking the model that Craig's talking about, of the shared experience, the contributed experience, the experience that's constantly living and portable. How do you think that would affect, uh, affect a very immersive experience like VR? In relation to music? 
or just in general? All of the above. Because if you think about what Craig says, that applies to video now as well. It's not just music, it's the full human experience of content creation. Yeah. Um, I mean, making games is a little different, I guess, as you know, to, to working on musical film. Not that it's any more difficult or, or easier, it's just different. It's, it's just different. Yeah, it has a lot of um, complexities, which I'm, I mean, it's fascinating just to sort of think about how you could work collaboratively from different locations in VR, Minecraft. on VR. I mean, think of Minecraft. I mean, there's yeah. no reason why that thinking of uh, creating collaboratively in an environment can't be applied to a whole bunch of different worlds and a bunch of experiences. Oh, no, definitely multiplayer, multi-user uh, experiences. Yeah, definitely, and they exist and they're growing. I think that's going to be really exciting when you start to see some of those virtual worlds come out. From a development point of view, like, there are some interesting things I think that could happen there. Um, I'd be interested to see what comes out, but that's kind of why I like this space. I've got no idea where it's going to be. So every month, every day, every month is different, and you just keep evolving what we do, what everyone else is doing. And it's, every day is like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's really cool. Which is pretty much the only answer at the end of the day. After 35 years of making weird stuff with all kinds of weird technology I can get my hands on, you have no idea where you're going to be in five years. And being open to that is important. And I think that goes back to both of what you're talking about, is that you're both artists who are pushing yourself into very different categories, but being very open to it. So that said... There is one more thing I'd like to add just very oh, briefly before we go, absolutely. is on that point about where we want to be. You know, as the games market grows here in South Australia, and as you know, there's all of you musicians here, is that that industry grows together. The government's trying to push that, you know, we have a lot of game developers here, we're getting more. Let's have artists and musicians who also have a specialty in game development as well, so that when we finally need to actually release a game and not have our stock, our rubbish, you know, stock music that we use, <laughs> um, that we can bring someone like you in or someone like you to come in and actually make music for that application and even do that virtually as well. Yeah. And just to go back to the, the last point, because I would love your, your thoughts on it. I mean, user-generated content is just, I mean, it's eating the internet, right? I mean, that's just what it's becoming. You know, I have, I have not personally seen a lot. I mean, you think of even games a while ago, like Spore, like, I don't know if anyone remembers that, but I mean, the idea of creating uh, worlds where people can be uh, part of the collaborative process um, extends a platform, extends a title. Um, do you see, Matthew, like opportunities to create uh, platforms in the virtual space where people are creating their own crazy environments in this world, but then being able to share them? Because I feel like that is the potential where you are just passing on VR as a tool for other people to create new environments for everyone to explore. And it, by doing that, you kind of say, okay, like, I'm done. Like, everyone else just go mad and... and I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of that. I don't know what your, what your thoughts are in terms of enabling that kind of creation in the virtual world to democratize that kind of experience. Yeah, and, and it's there somewhere. Someone's doing it right now. Someone's working on that because it's, like, like you? you said, it's the Minecraft. It's called Fortnite. Well, I was going to say PUBG, but... <laughs> yeah, there's a number, of, and, and, and I think that's the thing, and that's why I don't want to leap in from panelists to somebody who's a practitioner, but absolutely, the ability to long-form a piece of very complex technology-driven content relies on people contributing to it. It's, it is the fundamental business model. And I think if you look at how YouTube has changed the consumption habits of many 
young people around the world in terms of what they choose to view and who influences them. It's the same thing that happened with music, and it's certainly the same thing will happen with the highest level of, of immersion. And what we're going to show tonight could, uh, could, actually, could be a multiplayer experience where you are creating Absolutely. music together in headsets. What a Different parts of the world. But even on your point, I mean, I mean, there's been a big shift, I think, from consuming to creating. And, and you see... Um, Almost, I mean, obviously through hardware, people that uh, weren't photographers became photographers because you've got phones in your pockets that do all the heavy lifting of exposure, all that kind of stuff. Video now is easy to press a button, the hardware solved, the ability to, 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 to enter that world. I mean, for, for me, I found music still is this like black box where, I mean, people that are not musicians feel like it's like, how could I ever do that? I don't understand music theory. I don't understand uh, how the software works, how an instrument works. I can't contribute to that. My, my thinking is, will that same sort of barrier, because music is kind of like that last thing, like everything else can, you can create, but anyone that doesn't, isn't a musician now, I'm sure you probably feel like I could never create music. But yes, I can create music, I can create video, I can create 3D models easily online, I can create stores, I can create websites, I can create all this content, but you talk to people, how do I create music? Uh, I don't know. But I think the opportunity for VR, as I'm trying to do with music, is to say, how can people start to be able to create their own VR environments? Because if you empower people to do that, it explodes, because then you're not responsible for the creativity. So. Um, I, think, I think an example of that is the Oculus Home, home screen. When you put the Oculus on, before you start any programs, you're put into a, a room and you can do whatever you want with that room in terms of decoration, the backdrop, so it's a very simple example, but yeah. But how much of the sharing of that is built in natively? Well, at the moment, not, but it's the idea of creating your own space, of creating in VR. Wink, from a wink. Set of, and yeah. the, and the, exactly. The funny thing is, most of the online multiplayer games out there, particularly ones created for younger kids like Animal Jam, the most visited and most used and most shared part of the environment is the den, the personal space that the player creates. Same thing with the Ninten Nintendo Miis, the avatars. So many people playing, you know, hours and hours and hours in there. Commodifying it as you're talking about, turning it into a revenue stream is a bit Habble of a challenge. Hotel VR. Yeah. Wait, who yeah. remembers Habbo Hotel? Is that even a thing that anyone remembers? I mean, that was huge. I don't even know how much money that, that, that generated in the end. Uh, but I mean, but I, I still haven't seen anyone say, why don't we duplicate that idea in a much more inverse environment? And if that was, <laughs> if, you, if that was my domain, I'd be all over that. It's like, to me, that's massive potential. And as much as we should dive into some demos as well, for me, that's part of that conversation is, what do you think, Craig, the barrier is for people diving in and making music? They're, they feel very comfortable photographing, writing, uh, influencing, talking. There's so much content being generated in a number of different mediums. But music? Do you think people are a little reticent to go in there and do it? Why would you think that is? Why? Of course. Well, because the, first of all, the, if anyone's first experience was a piano, it's the worst interface ever. I mean, I watch a child get up to a piano and they'll tinkle on the white keys. Everything's kind of cool. A couple of fingers hit those black keys. Mm, dissonance. Oh, wow. You, you watch a kid literally step back and mm, there's a trepidation now to the experience of making music, which is terribly sad. It's only because that interface, why should any key that you hit be out of tune? If you can, and that's a math. Music is math. So it's very easy with music, as we'll, we'll show, to, to make sure that things align to do that. So I think it's use uh, math, which is pretty much behind most of all of our worlds, to be able to remove all the things that are unnecessary and only provide things that will add value to the user while they're in there. 
and everyone's experience is always going to be good. And that's how you sort of hold their hand, it's the gateway drug, into the experience. Uh, and I think uh, that's what we've had to do with music, and I think VR will find its own way of how do we eliminate what are generally the obstacles from an interface perspective to be immersive. Do you think then there's an opportunity to make a, a new family of instruments that exists only in the virtual world? New interfaces, yes. Yeah. Sounds are, will always change. I think, interf absolutely, well, I mean, just don't give people the keys that will make something bad. I mean, you, you can open it up for people that are like crazy and want to do <laughs> some weird jazz. Yeah, there's always room to do that, but start off simple and just remove the things that are going to make the experience not good. And as a, as a gaming person, I'm sure you understand the value of onboarding. If you're going to onboard music, don't give an interface where you can make mistakes. Let people get excited and then draw them in and then they'll feel like they're confident. When people have confidence in any kind of media platform, they explore and they create and they walk away with something they want to share and now you've got kind of progress at that point, I think. Yep. Experiment, then reward. Yeah. Do we want to see some demos before we dive into question time? I'm sure. A very interesting conversation, though, I hope for everyone. You guys ready to go? Sure. Cool. Let's see some demos. Let's see what this looks like. We can sit here and comment that, I guess. I think if you just drop it. Just kind of. So second, it looks like this is not playing nice with the resolution. Everyone can see all my files. There we go. Do, 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 do. Goodbye. Um, so, as I was saying, I think that the key thing with, with making music for non musicians is that people understand music theory. How do I create music? I have no understanding. We come at it from the point of. We're going to provide you with uh, almost 100,000 royalty-free sounds, so there's no copyright issues across multiple genres. So we, you know, we stock it with all these things that you see over here. These are all sound packs across multiple genres. Um, and what I guess the secret sauce is, and I kind of built it here so we can just kind of get right into it, is I built some sounds in here. So everything's just basically like if you want something, you just sort of paint it, draw it on. It's just a very simple, natural thing. Um, so what we do is, it doesn't matter what key it is, every little piece of music that we want to preview or add in, we automatically do harmonic transposition. So if somebody's in a different musical key where it would normally not sound good, we can just go in the cloud and say, let's just transpose that into the same key. So think of it kind of like uh, Lego pieces, musical Lego pieces, where everything just snaps in. You don't have to worry about whether it's going to sound bad or not. So if I wanted to add uh, a little piece of additional sound in, we'll just...
so I just brought these in before, but based on this dragging and disparate elements of piece of music, but you can see how very quickly it's trying to make it as in, as intuitive as, as possible, where you're looking at your music and just basically drawing it how you want it. See if you want your bass to come in earlier. Oops. Um, I mean, there's a lot of complexity here, but you, the idea is to kind of hide it away where you can just bring these elements in, just very easy, paint these things on, come up with your own creations. I mean, certainly you can, you can dive in here and start going, uh, we'll just do something fun for here. And it's, it becomes just an exploration where you don't understand what you're doing. You're just sort of moving around with waveforms and playing with stuff. Um, there's a lot more to this platform, which I won't be able to get to in a short demo, but I'm happy to talk about with after. But, I mean, we built this thing with, uh, you know, full chat capabilities built into it so you can be chatting with people in real time. It's kind of like Google Docs for, for music, if you will, so I can be dragging and dropping uh, elements between sessions with different people. And again, I could be one uh, user that's making a piece of dubstep at a certain tempo when someone's doing jazz, but as we share a piece of music across from each other, it automatically kind of transposes into the same key. So it gets really interesting when you start listening to the music being created on the platform, because we have hundreds of thousands of people on the platform creating music where you've got people that are just sharing all these music. Because normally a music producer will be like, I'm a hip-hop producer, or I'm a, a, a house producer, and they make that kind of music. But when you're given a gigantic library of sounds that go from Afro-Latin, Cuban, jazz, hip-hop, trap, everything, kids are just dragging in all these different things together. They don't think about a certain genre, so you get this really eclectic uh, sort of style of music. Um, and once you create a piece of music like this, you can easily output it, which will show a sort of round trip how it got into the VR, but just to give you a sense of you know the community, uh, I mean, here's a, here's a user's page, um, for instance, where they're creating music, and you can kind of get a sense of, let's just play a trap. This is a piece of music created by one of our users. We have seven-year-olds, we have 70-year-olds. It's like, it's we just we move the barriers to allow anyone to kind of participate in the music-making creation. For me, is that when you've got uh, sort of again that open thinking about how music can be created, you can open up a marketplace where if I am a music creator, if I'm an artist, I can start putting my music into a platform like this where now everyone can start creating with it sort of organically and naturally. And I think that to me is the amazing part because I mean, this music, I mean, this is, this is, I think he was like a 13 year old, this is a 13 year old making this music. And when you hear some of these tracks, it's like, they're bangers, I mean, and they don't even understand music, but they understand how to build up on what they use. Um, happy to go through this later, I could go forever uh, into the technicalities here, but um, suffice to say, it's, just, it's, it's more about um, using technology, using math, using things to reduce 
the friction to creation. And I think that's the goal for, I think, a, a lot of stuff happening in the VR space and even in the gaming space. I mean, like everything. Uh, I think whatever you can do to be able to allow um, uh, people to participate in the creative sort of community and ecosystem, you see much, uh, much more interesting things happen. But um, certainly happy to dive deep with anyone after the fact in terms of you know, how this stuff works. But as an overview, I think that should probably be good enough. Thank you, Craig. All right, you're up, Matthew. So interesting as we as we set up for the next session, a lot of what has affected the business that I work in, which didn't exist seven years ago, is available tools that allow people straight out of university to create very complex software for video games. It's something called Unity 3D. So Craig's right about that. The ability for technology to rapidly advance and make complex content creation easier uh, is accelerating at a very, very rapid pace. And as new platforms come along like smartphones and touchscreens, it's up to us as the human race to find ways to use them for fun. That's a good setup. I hope so. <laughs> for fun. I'm not pushing anything, I promise. So how many folks in the audience have actually ever worn a VR rig? Reasonable amount. So whoever didn't put their, someone from the group that didn't put their hand up will be up here soon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, this is um, Unity 3D. So, sorry, am I good to go? Yeah, good. <laughs> um, so this is the, the engine that we use to build our experiences, our games, or our training applications, or even some of the films we work on. Uh, it's a fantastic product. It does so much to, to allow us, even independent developers to do some really crazy stuff. Um, so this here is a demo that we put together for tonight, and it's a VR way to make music, <coughs> working off Craig's technology to generate music. So Craig's created some loops, which we, um, he's downloaded, and we've put into this program. And what we can see here is we can see this is a 3D sort of space. So whenever you create uh, a video game that's a 3D video game, you're working in, in space inside the computer. And the sort of process is, you know, you're making models, you're making trees and rocks and people and water and sky, and you're bringing that all together to create what the user sees. Behind all that, to make it all work, you've got code. Luke's going to show you some code now. So what we've done here with this code is um, this allows you to add and subtract music clips, loops, from a... What do you call it in music where you lay out <laughs> lots of different tracks? <laughs> so basically you can layer your tracks through, turn them on and off. Um, the code here will do things like change volume, change pitch. It'll make sure that they match tempo, that they sync when you drop them on and off to the, the platform. Um, that's probably about it. Isn't it? There's, again, there's a lot there. It's all very technical, lots of pretty colors. Um, but what it comes down to is you've got your world, you've got your code. Yeah, now you've got some fantastic music, and now you've got an experience that all works. So from a design point of view, we're thinking, right, what's the world we need to make? What controls, what code do we need to do to drive that world? And what audio do we need to make it really live? And that's what this demo's all about. And rather than rabbiting on, unless there's anything else, Luke, you'd like to talk about? <laughs> um, who would like to come up and have a shot? Come on. Yeah, let's go, man. So what we're using here is the Oculus headset. 
We've got a couple of sensors at the front here, and we've just, we've just mapped this space here into a play space. So you've got, you're going to have complete freedom to walk around, but really all you need to do is sort of stand about here. The good thing with the Oculus is it's got these little hand controllers that give you really fine um, control of your hands in the VR space to the point where you could play instruments, you could play piano, you could play guitar, unlike some of the other headsets and systems which you don't really have that same level of control. So if you have a look around, you can see there's some people around and you're just in a nice, gentle, relaxing place. And this could be set anywhere. Um, we decided on this because it was late and it looked good. There he's got a whole series of boxes, and these are his clips. They're the same as in um, Craig's system, the list of items on the side, the clips on the side, these are all individual clips. And if he places one on the table... <laughs> oh, I'll grab another one. Turn around, turn around 180. So look to your left, look to your right. You've got to reach out. That's it, get right in there. So. Every box is a different sound. That's all in the same tempo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you can imagine this as a collaborative space where you have some, like, your friends on the other side, side of the table and you're both adding and taking things off. And you get a bit of, in, in this case, you get a bit of visual feedback as well from the characters around you, so they start to respond. So ha have a look up around. So as you build the track and change the track, they'll start to respond as well.
there you go. Um, the new interface that Craig referred to. Lego blocks, uh, familiar objects in a very unfamiliar environment. Now, this part of the program, I'd like to invite Elizabeth Reed up to the stage, who has an announcement, a uh, very exciting one that we are involved with today. And then we'll kick into questions and answers and maybe a little bit more of a play. Is that possible? Excellent. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, guys for your time today and coming out and sharing all your knowledge. It's, it's blown my mind. That was amazing. And both the demonstrations are just really exciting to see how musicians can get amongst it, even if you're not all that familiar and tech is scary to you like me. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so I'm here representing the Music Development Office, and I have a very exciting announcement for any of you who want to get more into this sort of field. Um, I especially want to thank some guinea pigs who are going to make this program possible, and I'll mention them in a second. Um, we're going to announce an opportunity for more mus musicians to develop collaborative skills in composing for games for the next round of the John Lemon Artist in Residence program. Now, this program is funding that, funding that is administered by the Music Development Office through Arts South Australia, and it's to support South Australian artists in making new collaborative original music. It's named after one of the world's best sound engineers, John Lemon, who's actually resident of the Fleurieu when he's not flying around the world um, doing sound engineering for tours like Lana Del Rey or uh, Roger Waters at the moment, I believe, um, some of the biggest names in the biz. He still calls South Australia home. He's got the best ears in the world, and so we've named this um, collaborative program after him. We've had about four rounds of it so far, and it's been open to any kind of collaborative songwriting projects. We've had local producers work with interstate artists. We've had two artists working together. We've had bands redefining their sound. But we're taking this opportunity now to refine it for one of the rounds and have it more of a themed, um, a themed opportunity. And so actually today we have some of our residents um, here. So we've got one of our artists in residence, Alex, in the back row, if you want to talk to him about how his experience has been going. And both of the song rooms on site where they create this music, um, I'll, I'll be happy to show you afterwards if you like. So for the future of the program, we wanted to test theme rounds that target priority areas within the music industry strategic plan that the MDO, the Music Development Office, has developed. One of these themes and priority areas has been technology and digital engagement. So we roped in um, Matthew and Luke from Novus Res and one of our previous John Lemon um, artists in residence, Tim Witt, who's in the front row here, to test out how this might work. Tim's a, a whiz at creating all sorts of loops and samples and original songs. Um, and so we kind of threw them in a, a song room and said, let's help Tim um, be able to understand how to compose for games. So let's collaborate together. Let's talk him through the process of what that means. Let's exchange a language and you can get these, these two different planets talking to each other. Um, and I'm going to give uh, Tim and, and Matthew and Luke an opportunity to speak about how that went um, in a minute as well. So I think it's a fascinating experience. Um, suffice to say, it was a big success, and so now we're able to offer this kind of opportunity as the next official round. So from um, Monday on the new grants portal in um, the Arts South Australia website, that's grants.arts.sa.gov.au, you'll be able to see the John Lemon Artist in Residence uh, program, and it will be open for you to apply as a musician to work with Matthew and Luke from Novus Res, and also Dan is generously giving us access to um, their composer in residence, Morgan Reed at Mighty Kingdom, who um, is a professional musician working in this field. And this artist in residence program will offer you up to $2,000 and up to eight days of a project 
um, immersing yourself within this industry, learning more, collaborating um, together with the game developers to, to test out how this might become a, a new direction for you, a potential new income stream, and also a, a lot of fun um, creatively and for your songwriting skills. So we're happy to announce that that is open from Monday. The applications will close on the 6th of August. If you have any questions about the details of the program, please come and talk to me. We're actually hosting an info session on all the nitty-gritty of how to apply for this and our other uh, music project grants next Thursday, uh, right here, 5.30 for free. So I'll go into detail then. Um, but maybe if we can just have a few words about how the original went. and. Um, I'm really excited to be able to make that available to the musicians and game developers in the local industry. Hello. Oh, and here comes Luke from the back. <coughs> yeah. Ooh. All right. <laughs> Onto the floor with you, mighty kingdom. There's a new kingdom in town. Uh, hey everyone, uh, my name is Tim Witt and yeah, I got chosen to be a guinea pig to, uh, to work with uh, Matt and Luke, Novus Reds, uh, to make some music for their game. Uh, we, we, uh, we met each other when I was you know, doing the residency before, um, like just a regular John Lemon residency. Whenever I needed a break, I'd go and talk to them and they would, they would always have a new VR game they were working on or something like that. So like, here, chuck this headset on and yeah, it was really fun doing that. And so yeah, it was a great honor to work with them. I'm really, I'm really amped about just like where VR is going and things like that. And so yeah, what was the name? What's the name of the game that you're working on? All right. Well, the name of the please game. Please explain it a little bit first. <laughs> All right, well, the name of the game is uh, 26 Rob Plays, which uh, doesn't mean much, but uh, <laughs> it's a it's a little game you can play socially. Uh, it's named after one of our friends who gets a, a little bit too competitive when we have have an Xbox nights bit on FIFA. He'll get real competitive. It's going to be even more competitive. He's British, so he's going to get a bit more competitive from tonight. Yeah. Um, but at, we build the game and we make the game the way we want. But as we showed you, in the meantime, we throw in stock music, uh, a feeling something that just fills that space because otherwise it, it, it is empty. Uh, and what we were able to do through this program was have Tim come and look at it uh, and create some fantastic <laughs> sounds and not just that, also change the way we uh, decided to use music in our game. So whereas before we were just looking at tracks and uh, a, a, a sort of score, we ended up changing to a more dynamic soundtrack which is using loops which changes based on uh, the feeling of the game, what's happening at the time, uh, the environment, things like that. Uh, one of the things I, I said when you came in was this is what we'd like, but also we don't know what we necessarily want because we're not in that space. So having that ability to just have that talk back and forward uh, and bring out the expertise from both sides has been really sort of paid off there. Yeah, so yeah, as I was saying, they, I came in and they put some um, library music to it, which was really good. I really enjoyed um, this sort of, I had a little bit of like old lounge style music. Uh, like a sort of bossa nova uh, music, and so I was got talking to them, and they, I was like, okay, so what do you want? And they kind of like, yeah, we don't know. We just like this sort of fit, fit with it. And so then I guess that is the kind of role of a composer for games. You need to come the potential of being composers for games. Like that's I think that's your role. Like you come in and just um, <laughs> sort of, yeah, kick it to the next level. And that's it. Uh, it really having that music being designed specifically for the application means you can use the music for the emotional cues. So in this case, it is 
fun, but it's also panic and time's passing, so you might need to accelerate what's happening. Uh, then there's a lull because there's a loading screen because we work on computers and they can't do everything instantly. Uh, and so being able to tailor that, whereas we have a, a canned piece of music, it's two and a half minute loop and it's going to play on a loop at two and a half minutes regardless of what is happening on screen at the time. Yeah, and so almost, yes, like working with kind of the like loop lab sort of style where yeah, what I end up doing is just making about sort of 20 or 30 different tracks of just like sort of drums and guitars and things and yeah, so now we can actually just import it into the game and have them loop and each level can have a different combination of, of music going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have some footage? I don't. We haven't got the music in there yet, unfortunately. No. no. But do you, have you got that? Can, have you got your canned music in there? Uh, we have some canned Great. music. I, I do like that music. <laughs> it was a high bar to <laughs> to challenge. And this, yeah, this game is great. Um, yeah, when I got to test it, <laughs> I was like, oh, sweet! I just want to keep keep playing this. Uh, there's a level. I'm not sure if you have it where you have to. Uh, extinguish fires, uh, so you have these like two fire extinguishers in your hands, but you're just, what, what really makes me laugh is that you're just standing in a park and just these spontaneous fires burst out and then you need to extinguish them. It's a very silly game. So question Tim, how long did you work on this? How long did you collaborate with them all up? Uh, so I came in and I saw the game and then I went away and I like, thought about it for a little bit and then in the end, and so uh, I was given a a bit of, I was given the studio time again, so in the end, I, I made it all in about eight days or so. And so yeah, I'm still just putting the finishing touch, touches on it at home at the moment. Uh, yeah, but it's just a really, yeah, it was, it was a nice size project. It wasn't like sort of creating like the Elder Scrolls or something like that where I need hours of music. So yeah, it was a nice um, succinct project. Ah, oh, waiting for technology. It's the one time you notice it when it's not working. Yeah. So, how about the Adelaide Crows, huh? <laughs> From our point of view as well, it helped us inform what some of, like, why we had some of the things we had in our game. Um, we hadn't, like, we we thought about things that we thought would be fun to do, but they didn't always make sense when you're in VR. And the music helps to inform and drive some of and even reshape some of the things that you do in the games. So from our point, not only was it just a good creative exercise, it was actually a design exercise as well. This is a VR menu selection screen, so in sort of traditional 2D games you'll say, right, I want two players and these many levels. Here it's all done through interactions. Want to kick off, kick off a game with so Yeah, this is all canned stock music. But this is the feel, we said to Tim, we to have fun, and this is the kind of feel we want to go for. Also, uh, uh, Luke and I had discussed briefly about the idea of having like a little radio there that you can change the stations on, kind of like a Grand Theft Auto <laughs> sort of thing, but it proved too difficult.
the characters is dancing down the bottom. <laughs> Look at Bones go. Is, is a, it's, there's such entertainment value watching people use VR, isn't it? It is hilarious. Um, but Matthew, can you describe a little bit about what the core interaction is? Yeah, so we designed this. Um, we wanted to make something that made VR social. So obviously we've got a headset on, you're taken away from the rest of the world. We wanted to find a play with ways to make it a social gaming experience. And it was designed for exactly what we're doing here. You're sitting on the, on the couch, you might be having a drink and a pizza, and you're swapping in and out. So it's rapid play, you have a round each, each round's about 45 seconds, but you're just jumping in and out and having fun and laughing. And most of the fun, from my point of view, is watching people do this, because it's just hysterical. It's fun <laughs> to play, but look at this, I mean, it's crazy. We took this over to the States this year, and yeah, just watching people on conference floors just do this. It was just, it made the whole five days just easy as pie to stand there and just watch people make fools of themselves. But yes, I guess also that was kind of the... Like you can see that yeah, if you're spending a whole night playing the game, that like having a piece of music that loops, like two minutes that loops over and over, like it's, it does get a bit repetitive. And so, uh, yeah, so just trying to make it like, like seamless as possible, but then still dynamic and changing. And that's what the program has done for us, is taking this game from a, a game that people liked three months ago when we showed it off, to a game which I think now is really quite polished and has an extra level through music which we hadn't even thought about when we first designed it in a Krispy Kreme back in December <laughs> at midnight. Who? Some Q&A maybe? Yeah. So there has to be some questions in the audience about this stuff. How many people have never seen a VR rig before <laughs> here, had no idea walking in the door how A, games were put together, but also how technology would impact music in the way it's been described here? There's got to be some questions. Uh, I... Ooh. What? In, in the meantime, I have a question for Craig. Um, in terms of like doing like Loop Lab, where you're making like high quality music accessible for everyone, do you ever worry about you know that moment in like the movie The Incredibles where um, syndrome is like when everybody's special, then no one is? Do you ever worry that you'll get to that point where like that that 13 year old's trap banger was really decent? And yeah, do you ever get to do you ever worry that like by making awesome music? Like creatable by everyone, that uh, then essentially uh, it devalues awesome music. Uh, you know, I I get that a lot when I talk to the music industry. You know, <laughs> you know talking about the value of music is, and I think I, I think when you see what uh, Snap did with regards to just for the first time making experiences uh, go away and disappear, uh, it it kind of made the idea of of photography and pictures became part of the language for a generation of kids where it wasn't meant to last. They would be sharing things that would, would disappear. And I think that we're going to move more and more to a world where you're going to be creating music and it's, you'll always have those bangers that will last for the season, the summer song. I think you're never going to get away from that. But when you and your friends can start uh, making music or having experiences together, they're meant to be very transitional. So this week we did this thing, and this week we did this thing. And I don't think it's music's 
role in the future is about these iconic things that last forever. I think we're going to, as more people can start using it as a piece of language, you're going to see it just a part of the conversation. So they're just meant to be this thing now, and it just waves away. And then this thing now, and it's just more an expression. I think you'll always have those things that will stand the test of time, that will unite everyone. But I think as more people can communicate with this new language, it's just meant to be this, this shits and giggles song of the week, and everyone gets on that for a little bit, then it goes away, and you do it again. So. I think it's more about bringing people into the conversation of creation and let everyone else decide how long it should last in terms of its value. Good one. Um, I'm glad you brought up Star Wars early on because for me, um, um, when Craig was talking about the invisibility of music, I was, I was just remembering back to when I realized that um, Star Wars um, without music is just a you know fairly mediocre derivative story, but John Williams just just changed my life because because it, it took you to places you never would have dreamed of going. It, at the same time, there's a lot of research oh, going back 40, 50 years now about how music can affect you know, the reptilian part of your brain that, you know, the average four-chord song is about as good for you as, um, um, you know, three cups of Coca-Cola, whereas a symphony can actually change the way your brain works. When we start combining the invisibility of music, the way that it can change us and AI, where do you think that's going to go? And or the games industry and or the advertising industry in particular. Who's the, who's the question for? Everyone, I guess. I mean, I mean, I mean. Truly, I think it's a good point in terms of we're eventually going to get into a feedback loop where we'll be able to track more and more what music is doing to us as we listen to it. Listen to it, and that data will become a new feedback loop where it'll be able to evolve and grow based on the impact that it's having on someone. I mean. Uh, the symphonic, amazing experiences that are transforming for people uh, might fire a lot of synapses, but the reality is for a lot of people, um, three chords, not even four chords, with strong lyrics on top of it will capture people for their entire lives. And that's something that's hard to explain what it is. But I think as we get to a point where the we have the music coming in, but also what it's doing to us, uh, creating a feedback loop that we can tap into and then start when you, you put machine learning onto that data set, music will begin evolving to each person's own satisfaction. I mean, that's very sci-fi, but I don't think we're more than 10 years away from having something that can capture these, these synapses. And I think it'll be unique to everyone. What, what, what does it for me and what does it for you it will be different things, but I think when we can get that, that, that input-output happening at the same time, music has an opportunity to evolve for each of us. The interesting thing is that then, then there's no actual creator is a part of the process. And that's a part that a lot of people have, never mind whether how many chords it is or an orchestra, you can't imagine a point where there's just no humans involved. And that's the part that, you know, I see a lot of people playing with music uh, from an, an AI perspective. And I think it's interesting, but then it's just all, all robotic. I mean, my personal interest is how we can still take musical performances that were made by humans and inject those as the assets that uh, an AI composer can use so there's still the humans created the music that that baseline was from an, a human being that had passion but let the computer decide who that bass p player is playing with and what notes they're playing with uh, I think that may be the, the happy medium but uh, it's weird I mean uh, right now it's kind of AI Muzak 
but it's going to happen very quickly where uh, it's going to change and a lot of you know people that are just music uh, what you call musos that's what you call people here <laughs> yeah they're not going to be so happy with uh, you know how that's going but, I mean you can't you can't stop it if it, if it's creating satisfaction if this feedback loop is creating something you enjoy it it's subjective that's cool but I think a lot of people have a hard time with the fact that the creativity is being taken away from humans and it's happening across all medias I mean it's 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 getting intense and before I go on to the next question I'd love to respond a little bit to that from the games industry the games that we run have about five million players a month in it and we derive data in terms of what they're doing across nine different products and we monitor those trends in terms of what their behavior is within it we and then basically the designers and it's like throwing stones in a pond we make little changes and see how their behavior changes. And we run that continually, build after build, loop after loop, for years. So getting back to what Craig's talking about, is suddenly content creation becomes something where the audience is participating in influencing and creating a feedback loop between artist and content at a mass scale. And I think the value, again, goes down to participation in creating it. If you look at the way the world works now, people feel very free to comment on anything, including Star Wars, and criticize it, and it affects audience behavior. If they don't like it, we've had the first Star Wars movie in history bomb and lose money a couple of months ago. So I think that's where we're getting to very, very quickly. So question in the back? You? Yeah, you, the VR guy. You had a, you had a hand up before? I've got a question here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, Richard is my name. And um, just a question in regards to fantastic about the grants being involved there with the music side with, with what you're doing. Ongoing funding in regards to music. I know that the, uh, at the moment musicians are paid <laughs> um, very often um, in South Australia. So have you thought about that? What opportunities are there ahead in regards to... Um, remuneration uh, for musicians. I'd love to talk to that, but yeah, yeah, go for it. yeah I mean it's now f factored into um, part of our budgeting process for for making productions. So as an additional revenue stream as a musician, something to bear in mind is that yeah, as a software company, we're looking for musicians. Yeah. Um, in terms of Mighty Kingdom, quite specifically, every project that we do um, never included any music other than library music in the past. And the person that's going to be mentoring people was actually hired at Mighty Kingdom when we were six people as an animator. But because he is a very diversely talented person, and as the length of time that people spent in our games went from two to three minutes a day to up to 20 minutes a day, the reliance on adding more richness and familiar emotional experience to those games went through the roof. So now we have to employ him as a full-time musician, not as an animator. And I think that will, uh, uh, as the amount of content that's created in the world just seems to increase. You know, if you look at the amount of material that Netflix is commissioning, the opportunities for musicians to engage in a paid production, like Matthew says, will probably go up as long as we continue to fund creativity, not just music, but creativity. And then going back to Craig, he could probably make some comments about how to monetize some of the music that you contribute to the pool of music as well. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. well, I, 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 you know, I think, I think that mu musicians need to think about all the different ways that music plays a role in the emerging formats. Uh, it's, it's easy to say, I want to write a song, I want to get on the radio, I want to be a rock and roll star, I want to get on stage, and that's great. 
it's, it's very hard to do that. But if you look at the fastest growing media format in history, it's online video. And it's just, it's just exploding where every person here probably is at some point creating this stuff and putting it up there. But where's the music to it, right? Like that, there's a massive void there currently right now where I think if more musicians start thinking, how can I tap into transforming what's generically kind of this, this cheesy stock market and finding ways to be able to create music that can be contemporary and used for people at a low price point where for a quarter, I can get a piece of music on my Instagram video or my, my bumper for my whatever spot. It seems like nothing, but four people do that, that's a sale. And I think eventually we'll find out what that sweet microtransaction price point is. But eventually as those markets come into place where people can easily add uh, audio content to their video, because that's the most, the biggest, if you ask any editor, I mean, and, and that's an editor editor, not a person that's doing an Instagram video, everyone needs it. I think we're going to see more channels for music being uh, sort of uh, transmuted into that platform. So I think musicians to start thinking about how do I do short form musical content? How do I create the stuff that could be used by a large amount of people? And that is the new, uh, I think, product that you're going to see being able to be monetized. So I think it's, as a musician, you got to think about all these different opportunities of creating content for video games because you're always looking for it. Um, marketplaces haven't really come to market yet to, to make it easy, and I think we'll see more of that, but you can be very proactive and reach out to game designers, to other video, people who do video, and, and strike up relationships where you become, like this relationship here, you had to find someone to help curate and create some music. So I think it's more about finding the people that are creating tons of content and saying, I would like to assist in creating the audio portion of that, because it's the, a huge part of it that's underserved, and look at that as new ways as a musician to find uh, ways to monetize or to create money or, or revenue streams from music. Just a bit of a um, comment and a question, I suppose. But um, I mean, if you think of Grand Theft Auto and, and how they those brands and those publishing companies started working together and they'd get high profile musicians syncing music. I mean, Guitar Hero, uh, you know, they use the musicians to promote their video games for a while there. And that was, so now I think the op it's flipped. So as the video world has, is exploding, you've got more competition for videos. I'm just guessing here, but is it true that you've got more? The video was ex expanding. You've got all of these companies coming up, gaming companies, VR companies, everything that they, they, don't, they can't afford to go to a, um, a publishing company or a major label or a, a, you know, a publisher to get uh, a brand or a profile musician. So now's the time to make relationships emerging, emerging sort of across music and the game sector, I would have thought. And, and you're right, that touches on something that's really important is that valuable content and content that is valued, that it draws an audience to whatever your product is, um, will never lose value. So live performance issues, what kind of grant funding. The issue with grant funding, take it from me, working in an industry that had grant funding for two months, and then it kind of went under review, and maybe it'll come back, and maybe it won't. I've been here for 17 years making video games, and up until the point I got some grant funding last year, I got all of eight grand to fund over $30 million worth of labor that I produced. The, the point is, is to get to the market, to find out where the market is and the audience is, and to be able to find out whether or not you're creating something of value for them. Your access as an artist is unprecedented. 
You know, when I got into the content industry back in the 80s, you had to go through a large industrial process and a huge amount of gatekeepers just to get something to someone's door. And hopefully they, they viewed it and engaged with it, but you had no feedback loop as to whether or not they'd enjoyed it. So touching on what Beck's talking about is that you have so many people creating different forms of content across a number of different portals out there, and every single big industry in the world wants people to come and look at their piece of hardware whether you're Apple or Google or, God forbid, Microsoft, any of those. So they're going to value you as a content creator to engage in that network. And then going along again with that is that you have musicians who validate video games by playing them on Twitch. Oh, my God, I can't remember what his name was, but there's, yeah, Drake played, you know, Fortnite for 45 minutes on Twitch and broke the Internet for a day. Right? So you see this amazing collision between what an audience just wants to do and somebody who has a certain amount of voice or speciality as an artist engaging in it and, and elevating it. So I hope that answers the question a bit. But believe me, as a guy who's been at it for 37 years, you always find your audience using technology, always. One question from the back? That really was you asking a question, wasn't it? <laughs> Um, I, I, there's a, I think there's like a bit of a, a, a contradiction emerging in this whole discussion. Um, and I, I'm both a musician and a software developer, and in, I do educational software as well. So there's like this clash, I think, um, with something like Loop Labs or the kind of industry we're talking about of music as a consumable item that can be used in, in a whole raft of different avenues as, as a money stream. But that, and at the, same trying, at the same time trying to value the work of a musician um, and saying, oh, we can't just grab a sample online and put it into a game because that's um, nowhere near as good as having a composer work with us. Um, and I wonder if Sorry, something... why not? Well, that was, that was not my, what I said. This is like something we were talking about before. But I, I guess I, what I wonder is if, if products like Loop Lab, um, and you talked, there was mention before that, that Loop Lab uh, removes this friction of creation, was the phrase you used. And I wonder whether, like, is this encouraging a, a vertical vertical kind of um, vertical creation in that we're describing to people what music is and saying create in this space in this in this vertical space and at the same time and this is quite philosophical are we are we actually destroying the lateral the ability for lateral um, creation and really like for for music for music production um, a lot of what we're talking about is is developing in the, in this very, very vertical space where it, it sounds like you know I, I know that a lot of this sample-based music online sounds like house music and it's very instrumental because these kids at home can't sing they're they're just putting samples together um, and so how do we in like is, is that is that at odds with lateral uh, creativity in music and saying. Well, what's the next big thing in music? You know, are we should we be pushing more towards music that 
is, is storytelling based or should we be pushing more towards music that um, I know I went to a a um, exhibition where Björk had came with her latest album she made an entire VR experience around her music um, but it was built it was built on the back of her music and with something like um, Childish Gambino's latest song like that was very much a song uh, a video that was based on his music and the, the, the song there was not um, was not secondary to the to the to the music. It was it was all part of this whole new world of musical creation. So I don't I don't know really know what my question is, but um, there is with something like Loop Labs, like can like do people do are people learning actually really learning music in something like that? And and maybe like I guess the with the follow up question like. How can do you know? Are you, have you thought about how you could create more lateral, more lateral musical creation in that kind of environment? Uh, so yeah, I mean, subjective, right? So uh, the main thing something like Loop Labs is doing is making people that were never even a part of the conversation in music start talking music. And if anything that we've learned from the community, you know, watching and being a part of it is that it, again, I use it, it's, it's like the gateway drug to music. I mean, people that never thought they could do it are now doing it. And we're seeing these kids now wanting to go on and, and learn how to play guitar. They want to learn how to play piano. They want to learn how to extend past this because they've, they've got past that fear that they can't do it where, oh, like I am doing it, now I want to do it better. And there's a big difference between wanting to get better versus being scared of doing it at all. And I think that's the main thing that I see as a part of that. And certainly there's, there's tools that we're developing that start going into you know, the MIDI side of creation where I can create my own stuff. But again, even if I'm going to create MIDI, and, and, and I'm an Ableton guy, if anyone here understands where I'm coming from, even when you're creating MIDI and composing your own notes and starting to be a part of your own creation of music, we can still take away the notes that are generally not going to sound good with everything else that we are analyzing that's going on around you so you can create in an environment that is positive. Eventually, you can unlock everything so you can hit whatever wrong note you want because you want people to have the most creative freedom as possible. But I think... We're looking at it from the point that it's been a black box for many people that they have not understood. It's like, the, you know, if you look at music in the old times, it was like y you'd only have access to music if you were in, a, in an elite society being able to go to a parlor room where there was a piano and you could listen to Beethoven play. People didn't even have access to the piano. So we're trying to get access to the creational process to empower people. And again, I think we're seeing more and more, there's just user-generated content. People will largely say it's shit. But I'll tell you what, the person that makes it, they don't think that. And so that's, the, I think, the thing that we're coming to grips with is that as more people are empowered to create any kind of content, you could argue on, a, on, a, on an objective level that some of it is, is not good, but anyone that creates it would argue with you that that was the most amazing hour they spent that day. So we see people using it from a, a meditative or almost medicative perspective because music has a profound power. So. Uh, I don't have an answer. It's, it's, it's a deep topic. It's a rabbit hole for sure. I think all we want to do is bring as many people into the conversation of music and let them choose where they want to take it. And hopefully we can grow with them and create better and better tools and, and empower them. Or maybe they'll say, you know what, Loop Labs, you are great. I'm now going to go start using Pro Tools or Logic or GarageBand. Great. Fantastic. Just make music. I mean, that's... Uh, 
there, there's no real, yeah. I mean, I, it's it's just about giving people the tools, and, and we're just trying to create musical tools that allow people to be a part of that conversation. And I have to wrap it up, but a really great comment to end on. We're talking about someone working within one of the oldest forms of art, removing the boundaries of that so more voices can come into it, create more lateral communication, and somebody working within one of the newest forms of experience relying on that ability to work laterally with musicians to create new and amazing and connected human experiences. And um, I really want to thank everyone for being here today, particularly Craig and Matthew for coming out here and talking about the stuff that they do with so much passion and a lot of intelligence. It's really scary, isn't it? Um, and I want to thank everyone here for joining us as well in St. Paul's for hosting us tonight. So I wish you all well and a safe trip home. And I think last call's already passed, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, yeah, I hope you all have a great night. Thank you. Thank you.